This past week in Gaza, hospitals have been under attack. We're looking at Israeli propaganda. When it fails and effectively exposes the war crimes it is supposed to justify. Radical ideas on permanently displacing Gazans have moved from the Israeli fringe to the pages of the Wall Street Journal. And it can be lonely on the Israeli left. A journalist there on her life and work after October 7th. This past Wednesday, Israeli forces raided the biggest hospital in Gaza, Al-Shifa, after targeting other hospitals like Rantisi and Al-Quds. Under international humanitarian law, attacking a hospital is a war crime, unless you can prove that it is being used by your enemy as a tool of war, which is what the Israeli military has been claiming, and not just since October 7th, that Al-Shifa Hospital serves as a command center for Hamas, that patients there are being used as human shields. That has been Israel's justification for cutting off power and water to the hospitals, cutting short Palestinian lives, basically. However, when you examine the evidence that the Israeli military finally provided this past week, it comes up short. Some of it has bordered on the absurd. As a propaganda effort, it was an embarrassment. Also compromised in this operation are the news outlets, far too many of them, that have run with the Israeli version of this story for far too long. They, too, have some explaining to do. IDF forces are carrying out a precise operation against Hamas in the Shifa hospital. The Israeli propaganda machine has a reputation for being effective, at times sophisticated. Not anymore. After telling the world that a hospital, Al-Shifa, was Hamas's command center in Gaza, Israeli forces were finally on the inside, in a position to show us the evidence. And this was the best they could come up with. A few dozen guns. These weapons have absolutely no business being inside a hospital. What looks like some new body armor, apparently unused, with some branding conveniently splashed across it. But it's uh, Hamas, the military wing. A laptop. Already provides a lot of incriminating uh, evidence. And to show their humanitarian side, Israeli soldiers carted in incubators for babies through a hospital where they cannot work because Israel has cut off the electricity. Propaganda does not get much clumsier than this. It left Israel's critics unconvinced and had to leave its supporters mortified. I can't imagine that anyone, let alone, you know, an Israeli sitting at home who was anticipating this big reveal during the Al-Shifa hospital raid would be satisfied with what was found by the Israeli military. The expectation surrounding Shifa hospital, presumably, and other hospitals in Gaza was that we were going to find major Hamas operations underneath these hospitals. But what the Israeli military was telling us and what it had been building up for weeks does not fit in with what, quote unquote, evidence they have so far provided. It is highly problematic that uh, the Israeli military and Israeli leadership tend to create this alternative reality that um, if you know what's going on on the ground, if you're talking with colleagues such as I am in Gaza, that you know that the messaging from the Israeli military and the Israeli leadership is false. 
Two days before getting into Al-Shifa, the Israelis entered another hospital, Rantizi, where a man in uniform walked viewers through what they found. Daniel Hagari is a rear admiral, the chief spokesperson for the Israeli military. Hamas used this hospital. Tonight we have entered into this building. I will show you the evidence. He said that this document posted on the wall, written in Arabic, was a roster of Hamas fighters, proof of terrorists holed up at the hospital. This is a guardian list where every terrorist writes his name and every terrorist has his own shift guarding the people that were here. But it wasn't a roster with names on it. It was a calendar with days of the month. Still, the story was off and running. That kind of propaganda would be dangerous if it made it into the Israeli media and went no further. But that is not how it works, what it's designed for. The IDF, Israeli Defence Force, has posted a video of what it claims is a walkthrough of a Hamas terrorist tunnel. The IDF spokesman, Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, has also revealed that he had proof that the basement of the hospital was being used by Hamas. The Israeli army has, according to its own evidence, demonstrated that the terror organization Hamas under hospitals. Generally speaking, of course, there are exceptions. The Israeli media, certainly the TV channels, take whatever is distributed by the IDF as a proof. And we have signs that they had hostages with them. And this, I think, is unfortunate because I'm not saying that this is fake, but I think caution would demand Israeli journalists to say, this is what the IDF is saying. We cannot verify by, by ourselves. The mere fact that this video was aired, was broadcast by these outlets, it shows that they accept it somehow as being truth. And it leaves the viewer with the responsibility of questioning the veracity of it. This is the responsibility of news media outlets, not to be parroting what spokespeople say, but to actually questioning it. Their job is to question power, not to give a platform to power to spew whatever lies it wants to. We've seen a concerted campaign by the Israeli government and by the Israeli military targeting Gaza's hospitals. The Shifa Hospital is the largest hospital in Gaza City, but it's also one of Hamas's headquarters. And so we've seen these narratives that these hospitals are hotbeds of quote-unquote terrorist activity, and thus they are legitimate targets. And that sort of concerted media and propaganda campaign has led us to where we are now, where we see you know, the near complete collapse of Gaza's healthcare system. Israel's claim that Hamas is using hospitals as command centers and patients as human shields goes all the way back to 2008. In the 15 years since, not a single piece of irrefutable evidence has been produced by the Israeli army to back that up. Good evening. What the Israelis have been drip feeding to the media rather than evidence is their military's own intel, such as audio files that the army claims are Gazans saying that Hamas is using Al-Shifa hospital as a base. Satellite images with locations marked in red that the Israelis say show Hamas infrastructure at hospitals. And an animation that the Israeli military produced which purports to show Hamas tunnels under Al-Shifa. 
Unlike Israeli news outlets, international ones tend to add a disclaimer that what Israel alleges in such cases is not verified. The information that's coming out is both partisan and fragmentary, so we have to... The part that too many of them leave out? That Israel has a track record of disinformation in Gaza. Allegations that go unverified, that keep making it into the news cycle, spinning the story and confusing audiences. The information that is coming out of intelligence uh, uh, services should be treated with a lot of caution because we rely completely on them, especially in times of war, when this information is being used also to justify all kind of military operations. Journalists in Israel have learned from their own experience that the IDF spokesperson is, to say the least, not always telling the truth. The Israeli military has claimed that there are Hamas tunnels under the hospitals. The problem with this is that it has never been uh, independently uh, verified. The director of Shifa Hospital said it's just lies. The Israeli army spokesman is propagating false lies and fabricated reports. Two Norwegian physicians, including Dr. Mads Gilbert, who've worked extensively in Al-Shifa, claim that there are no Hamas centers under the hospitals. If it was a military command center, I would not work there. And you would think, uh, since hospitals are dedicated to serving patients, that if Hamas was building a vast network under the hospital, that the staff would object to this. With disinformation, the whole point is to create confusion, to create a system and where you don't sympathize with Palestinians and that you don't want to see an end to this genocide. The point of disinformation is to make it so that Palestinians are to blame for the genocide that is being perpetrated against them. And no matter how much we see these lies being disproven, it doesn't matter because the, the fire has spread, and that is the point of it, is to spread fire and to blame this genocide on Palestinians. That term, genocide, is not one you will hear on most international news outlets when describing what is unfolding in Gaza, and certainly not on Israeli ones. Al Jazeera is an exception. This network uses genocide in its reporting and in its straps the graphic titles used during the coverage of this story. Article 2 of the United Nations Genocide Convention defines genocide as a crime committed with the intent to destroy a national, ethnic, racial or religious group in whole or in part. Given the evidence, what Palestinians have seen on the ground, the incriminating statements made by Israeli leaders. And the often incendiary narrative on the Israeli airwaves. Experts in human rights say the use of the term is not only justified, it is vitally important. Look, genocide involves two components. One is you have to show intention, and the second is you have to show action. We've heard leader after leader say that there are no innocents in Gaza. We've heard uh, the Israeli prime minister call Palestinian children the children of darkness, and Israeli children the children of light. But then it's not just a question of what they've said, but what have they done? They cut off water, fuel. They cut off electricity, food supplies, and medicine supplies. 
So yes, we've heard scholar after scholar, including Israeli scholars, define this as genocide because that is precisely what it is. Should the foreign media be using it? Yes, of course they should. If the media started to use terminology like genocide or even like war crimes or crimes against humanity, that would greatly impact, particularly the U.S. government throwing its support behind Israel and the atrocities that it's committing in Gaza right now. Tens of thousands of lives are at stake. Over a million people have already been displaced. And the media plays an incredibly important role by the narratives that we put out into the world. This was the armory, okay? This was the Hamas armory. Yeah. Using terms like genocide could continue to put pressure on the governments around the world to, to stop funding and to stop supporting what Israel is doing in Gaza. Large parts of Gaza have been destroyed, almost 1.6 million Palestinians displaced, and now we're seeing Israeli politicians on the pages of international newspapers making the case to drive those people out permanently. Tarek Nafa has been following the coverage. That's right, Richard. An op-ed published in the Wall Street Journal this week really confirms what Palestinians say is Israel's ultimate objective in Gaza, to empty it of those who live there. It was written by two Israeli lawmakers, one from the ruling coalition, the other the opposition. And it effectively calls for Western help with the expulsion of Palestinians by accepting them as refugees. Israel's far-right finance minister, Bezalel Smotrich, was quick to endorse the plan, saying, quote, voluntary migration of Palestinians in Gaza is the right humanitarian solution. It's worth pointing out we've been hearing these kinds of ideas from former Israeli officials for weeks. So I think this is an opportunity to call the UN, the international community, to talk to the president of Egypt to open the border and let all the Palestinian civilians move south into the, the Sinai Peninsula. What's happening now is we're hearing those proposals from current Israeli officials and lawmakers. Some cabinet ministers have been so transparent in their calls for genocidal violence and ethnic cleansing that they've now received a warning from Israel's prime minister and the attorney general to watch their words because they could be interpreted as war crimes. They include this Israeli minister, Avi Dichter. <laughs> A second Nakba is a reference to 1948, when 750,000 Palestinians were expelled from their homes. History shows that when that happens, Palestinians are never allowed to return. The UN says 70% of Gaza's population is now displaced. Northern Gaza has been so badly pulverized, it may be uninhabitable for years. If the plans of Israeli politicians are realized, the temporary displacement could turn into the largest case of ethnic cleansing in Palestinian history. Thanks, Tark. The left-wing anti-apartheid side of Israeli society is clearly in the minority these days. Once the October 7th attacks took place, the country was in a state of shock. Such voices were largely silenced, drowned out by the calls for vengeance that were getting the lion's share of the airtime and that happened to mirror the messaging coming out of the Netanyahu government. And yet, on the fringes of Israeli public discourse, anti-war voices persist. People like Orly Noy. She is a journalist and an editor working with a couple of left-wing outlets, Plus 972 magazine and the Hebrew-language news site Local Call. Noy is also the chair 
of Israel's foremost human rights organization, B'Tselem. Her message that Israeli society tacitly approves of ethnic cleansing and genocidal violence against Palestinians does not represent mainstream public opinion there. And for that reason, it is a perspective that needs to be heard on the pain, silencing, and isolation that comes with being on the political left in Israel today. How I'm feeling is a very difficult question. Broken, worried, anxious, angry, um, many, many mixed feelings. My name is Oli Noy. I'm a Jerusalem-based journalist and editor. I also serve as uh, the chair for uh, the Israeli human rights organization, B'Tselem. Saturday tends to be a very, very quiet day here in Jerusalem. We woke up very early to the sound of uh, sirens and we immediately understood that those weren't regular sirens, those were sirens of war. It's incredibly difficult to really thoroughly analyze the impact of October 7th on the Israeli society. Israel in a war that we haven't known Without a doubt, this is conceived as the biggest tragedy, disaster that the uh, country has ever experienced. One of the very worrying things that has been happening in Israel since October 7th is the silencing of anyone who dares to speak about the context you cannot detach the October 7th from 16 years of a siege in the level of counting the amount of calories that every Gazan is allowed to consume daily. And of course, given the, the, the annual bombing, you know, every summer we're just like, waiting for Israel to bomb Gaza. This is not justification. What Hamas did on October 7th was really an unbelievably cruel and heinous crime, but it came within a context just to present it as a, a, a satanic, no reason attack just driven out of animal urges or anti-Semitism is not helping us to find a way out of this circle of blood. Voices such as mine, and of course I'm not the only one, the voice against dehumanization of Palestinians. We've always been conceived as uh, extremists, as radicals. October 7th turned me and voices such as mine into public enemies. They are calling us Hamas supporters, they are calling us uh, traitors. I must say, with great disappointment and sorrow, 
that some of the voices that joined that uh, public persecution against voices such as ours used to protest with us against occupation, against oppression. אנחנו עומדים מול אויבים אכזריים, אני לא אומר כל הערבים, אבל יש אויבים אכזריים גם בתוך ערביי ישראל. It's really frightening to be a Palestinian citizen in Israel right now. There are dozens upon dozens upon dozens of arrests of Palestinian citizens for minor things such as liking a post on Facebook that expresses any solidarity with the Gazan people, not with the Hamas. The Israeli police made it very clear that basically it's illegal to oppose the war. This is the reason that the leadership of uh, the Palestinian citizens were arrested. They actually notified the Israeli police that they wanted to hold a quiet, small rally against the war, they were all arrested. So the same day when we went for a silent protest, <laughs> Jewish activists against those arrests, we were brutally beaten by the police. We just stood there with masking tapes on our mouths and they just came at us, beating us up, uh, uh, making arrests. I'm really worried that once the dust of war sets, we will face a new reality in terms of the relations between the state and its Palestinian citizens and in terms of the shrinking spaces of Palestinians inside the Israeli civil society. The Israeli media has always been very much patriotic, but since October 7th, the Israeli mainstream media became full collaborator with those trends, mainly by uh, completely blocking out the Israeli public from receiving uh, information about what's going on in the, on the other side. As a progressive mainstream media, Haaretz plays a very important role. The constant coverage of Amira Haas, of Gidon Levy, of Hagar Sheizaf, those are really precious, important, valuable journalists but exactly because of that important role of Haaretz, it is so disappointing to see that they are giving room to heinous opinion pieces, completely dehumanizing Palestinians in Gaza. I did expect a shift in the opinion of people, but not to that extent. Such a trauma, a collective trauma, creates a need to rejoin your tribe, from which, as a leftist, you've been excluded for a very, very long time. So this 
collective trauma is sort of uh, an invitation for those who left, quote unquote, the tribe to gather back in, uh, embrace the collective narrative. And this is what many of the left camp did. October 7th completely shook up that equation that Israel was the oppressor, the bad guys. The Palestinians were always in the place of the victims. And the Israeli left is the good guys. All of a sudden, for one moment, the Palestinians stepped out of the place of being just victims and became victimizers. That moment broke down the understanding of the reality for many people. It's a result of constructing the Palestinian case for so many years solely as a humanitarian case rather than a political one. One of the things that really hurt the most for me is the delegitimization of my own grief over October 7th. It's like we were stripped from the legitimacy to share that public grief if we do not support the massacre in Gaza right now. And if you're not willing to be fully part of that narrative, you're not allowed to even grieve the horrible disaster of October 7th. You've been watching The Listening Post, our sixth full edition program on Gaza and Israel since the attacks of October 7th. What has happened since that day, the reduction of large parts of Gaza into a wasteland, the unprecedented killing of Palestinians, the forced exodus of 70% of the Strip's population, no amount of propaganda can possibly justify. Not that the Israeli PR machine won't keep trying. Watch this space for where this story goes next.